Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. In today's episode, Commission at Risk, How One Lawsuit is Upending the Real Estate Industry, we explore the intersection between buyers, sellers, and the broker fees they pay. Today's guest is George Schechter, a luxury real estate agent with Compass based in South Florida. George holds the honor of being this show's initial guest way back on our first podcast episode in December of 2020. George, welcome back to the show. Welcome back to the show, George. Thanks for having me, guys. So, George, tell us a bit about yourself. Fifth-gen South Floridian, second-gen realtor, love South Florida, love this market, and just happy to be back. So, George, so by way of background, in November uh, 2023, a Missouri court found the National Association of Realtors, or the NAR, and two other brokerage firms, which were Keller Williams and Berkshire Hathaway, liable for $1.8 billion in damages. The jury found the NAR and the firm is guilty of conspiring to artificially inflate brokerage commissions. The NAR has been found guilty of anti-competitive practices, including forcing sellers to pay a commission fee to buyer's agents. That it's important to note that the brokerage firms Remax and Anywhere, who were also named in this suit initially, actually settled for one point, actually 138, excuse me, million dollars. Now, the decision could potentially change the role of agents and loan officers, uh, and consumers can expect more transparency when buying and selling properties. So in some cases, uh, it's good. Um, but also, you know, some agencies have already, since the ruling, stated publicly that they no longer want to be associated with the NAR, which include Remax, Sotheby's, uh, and Century 21, they name a few. So this is a big deal. What does the decision mean for buyers and sellers in the industry at large? It changes things a bit. Um, mo- most, most realtors have always operated under the code that it's negotiable. But the, essentially what the NAR was doing is, what the lawsuit is about is that NAR and local board of realtors were not enabling agents to alter the field on the MLS to change the commission. So where it's going to affect buyers and sellers is now the agents are going to have to be very upfront and honest that you have a right to pay the commission that you want to pay. There is no set standard as there never was, but now they have to be very clear about saying that. And... But sellers will be able to choose if they want to pay a buying commission or not. And for buyers now, they're going to realize that they might not have to use an agent all the time. Maybe they can do this on their own, especially in a lower price point where these numbers start to really sway people's final numbers. You could see some movement in that direction. Which so are you saying that uh, the way the system is right now, how does it work right now? Where does the commission for the buyer and the seller's realtors come from right now? So it's completely different in different markets. So I'll, I'll speak to the South Florida market. In South Florida, sellers have traditionally paid both the seller's agent's commission and the buyer's agent's commission. Um, that's always been the case. Now, sellers will have the option to say they do not want to pay the buyer's agent commission which they always have had, it just hasn't been presented in that light to them where they've understood it. So now a 
buyer's agent will probably have to have his buyers sign an agreement agreeing to pay him commission, him or her commission, if they choose to buy a property that is not offering a buyer's commission, which is standard in some markets. So so what is the commission, right? I mean, I think I think most people who you know, who are not in the industry who want to buy and sell property assume that the commission is six percent and it's split three and three among the buyer and seller agent. Is that six percent never is that, that is that a made up number? I mean, where does that number come from? It's not a made up number, but it's not a law. It's never been set in stone that this is the standard, this is what you must pay. There has never been a standard on what commission needs to be paid. So we as a team have always operated on a 6% basis, but because of our value add, we've been very upfront with clients. This is what we offer. We recommend you pay 3% to the sellers and we recommend you pay 3% to the buyers. You don't want to lose buyers. You don't want to, but we've always, always offered it that as such, and we still do. 6% is not a set standard, nor has it ever been. So the seller gets the purchase price, and then you deduct the commission from that, and it gets split between the two parties. That's always been the case. It's always been negotiable, but now sellers will have the right, agents will be able to type in the MLS a zero for buyer's commission if the seller so chooses. Yeah, that makes sense to, you know, the fact that you're the seller, but you're the one that's getting the money. And you're the one that effectively is controlling the price. So you can you can fluctuate the price based on how much money you have and then factor in the expense of that that sale with the commission, et cetera. But, but now it seems as if be, because the seller is no longer responsible for paying the buyer's agent, the buyer's agent may ask the buyer for some form of commission or fee, which then raises the buying cost. So that it, it seems as if the buyer will ultimately be paying or potentially be paying more. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's exactly how it could play out. So in typical markets, in markets like New York, buyer's agents have always been paid by their buyers. That That's always been the standard. In South Florida, it has not been, there is no set standard, but it has not been the trend. So now buyers could potentially have agents. There's always been an agreement called a buyer's agreement, which essentially says it's the same thing as a listing agreement. You're agreeing to let me sell your house at this percentage and I will do all my duties. And the buyer agreement is the same thing. You're agreeing for me to find you a house. And if the seller is not paying commission, you will pay me this set percentage based on the purchase value. So now buyers in South Florida especially could potentially be picking up a little more cost. Yeah, and I think that's that's a um, perhaps not as much of a challenge for perhaps the higher income higher, uh, uh, you know, bigger uh, cost buildings, what have you, or, or apartments or units. Uh, but it'll really affect the lower end or in the mid the mid tier, right? And I feel like depending on where you are in the country, uh, everyone has certain degrees of closing costs, etc. And the closing costs are in some cases, um, you know, debilitating. Right? I mean, you, you pay all this money and then you have no cash in the bank, et cetera, to do all the remodeling and renovations that you would want. We would want. So it, it, it has a ripple effect, effectively saying that, OK, um, you know, you, you may see less buyers in the market. B, you may see less um, renovations and construction um, post post purchase uh, and, and the list can go on. 
So what are we, what are uh, the agents now saying, or how are they educating potential buyers uh, around this ruling? And what's, what's the narrative then? The first and most important thing, which is, it's always been a way of, of doing business for myself, is transparency. You have to be upfront. You have to disclose it. You have to explain to them their options and walk them through the different solutions and why it's why each is advantageous. One of the things you said is is how is this going to change for buyers? I, I think you hit it spot on when you said that in the lower price point, this is going to become a substantial issue um, when you're getting finances and, and money's tight and you have a loan. Adding an additional fifteen to twenty thousand dollars might not be feasible. So you'll see, you will see some buyers in this day and age try to go out it alone, and, and they're gonna they're gonna try to not use an agent. They're gonna use the aggregators online, Zillow, and what, whatever they can, and, and they're gonna try. And and the pitfall to that is these deals are not just a b a plus b equals c. They're not they're not as easy as they're made out to be in the public eye. There are a lot of pitfalls in a real estate deal from inspection periods to finance, to appraisal, to addendums, to all the legalities that go into these contracts and and all of the things we manage as agents. So uh, it's going to cost these buyers that resource, that that ability to have someone, if you're a first time home buyer and you don't understand it, who takes your call at 10 p.m. when your lender sends an email that you don't understand and walks you through why it says what it says walks you through what your next step is, guides you through the escrow deposit, guides you, sets up your inspection periods. It, it, it's going to hurt them. Now, there's no doubt that this is a complicated transaction. And in any complicated situation, whether you're whether it's a legal transaction, whether it's uh, some kind of paperwork, whether it's something related to the government, you, you want someone to hold your hand. You, you, there's a benefit to having an expert there who knows how the process has to work and can protect you. I always wonder uh, if the seller is paying the buyer's broker's commission, how well represented is the buyer? Uh, I remember reading that there was at one point, I think you can tell me if that's wrong or not, George, but there was a whole industry cropped up of, of buyers hiring consultants to be to help them with, with the purchase in addition to the broker. In, in other words, always trying to find ways to improve the representation by the buyer in the transaction. But I have a question for you. Let's say this does go through and it upends the industry. Wouldn't the industry itself just rejigger exactly where the, the where the money goes in the sense that if the buyer now has to pay his own broker and the seller is not paying the broker wouldn't the buyer then just negotiate the price down to the equivalent of what he has to pay the broker and say okay this is the price but i'm not paying i i'm paying that's much less because i got to pay my broker now that you're not paying i mean won't there just be an adjustment into where the money comes from as opposed to a more bigger change in the whole industry ideally Ideally, but in the current market we're in here in South Florida, we're still extremely low inventory. Um, so there is competition on solid properties. So when you're in a competitive issue and you're and you're you're bidding against other offers, every little bit counts. So sellers are going to be cognizant of that, and, and they're going to go for the strongest offer, just as they always have. So it could hinder buyers in that sense as well if they're now having to account for this commission. To into their offer and lowering their offer, well, then that lowers their chances of getting that property. <laughs> and and the, and the big problem 
is a lender is never going to approve a commission being in the loan package. So, <laughs> so that's just money that has to come out out, uh, uh, out of the buyer's pocket. No, that's fascinating. So what, what about the, the broker, right? The real estate agent and the brokerage firm. Um, we've always known that it's probably better to be on the sell side of a deal. Um, but now it's almost, it's almost like mandatory to be on the sell side of the deal. And are, are, are people going to want, to even you know, brokers and, and agents to be on the, the buy side? I mean, it seems like it doesn't pay out really as well anymore. Yes. The, the answer from my perspective is yes. Buyers need us. We're, we're good at what we do. We, it's going to change how the real estate does. Real estate is done. There's 500, 600,000 licensed agents in South Florida. That number is going to weed out. You're going to have more established agents joining bigger and more established teams. You're going to go to less brokerages. It's going to be more reputable established brokerages. And agents are going to now have to pitch a buyer the same way they pitch us out. When we, when we go to a listing presentation, we bring them a packet. We come, we present our value add. That's, that's the thing we talk about all the time is what's your value add here? You're going to have to do the same with a buyer and you're going to have to walk them through why they need you in this process. Yeah, that just brings up a good point, right? Because I've been in the uh, services side, uh, in the services industry for quite a, a long time in advertising and all that. And we're a fee-based uh, business. And there's also the media industry, which has been commission-based. You buy a bunch of uh, time on on CNBC or, or ABC or what have you, 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 you get paid a commission um, from that client, like Colgate and Unilever, what have you, it's for the purchase and the work associated with purchasing. A lot of that that commission structure is going away uh, and re- being replaced by by pay for fee or um, fee based services. So, this reminds me of a of Miami Vice. Uh, we're all in Miami, so it's relevant. Uh, the latest movie where the bad guy basically says, uh, "I don't pay for a service; I pay for a result." And the net net is if the commission goes away uh, for the buyer, he's going to want to see a service being done and thus a result being attained, which may be, I want to pay, uh, I want to pay a lot for this muffler, so to speak. So uh, what types of services do, will we start seeing from the real estate side, from the agent side that will convince buyers uh, that you know, paying them a fee, for example, would be worth it. So it, it it's the it, it's our services provided. Flat, flat, simple. What what we do in your entire process, from the initial meeting to the understanding of your needs, your your wants, buying. I've said this before on this show, but buying real estate is the most personal thing anyone's ever going to do. So there, there's a lot of emotions that go involved in that. And you need someone who's going to present the right properties. They're going to negotiate and get you the best price. They're going to manage and facilitate. I, I, it's almost project management, the entire process, right? Mm-hmm. right. It's, it's from showing to running the deal to closing to making everything's in order. And you are seeing some brokerages who have been very proactive and ahead of the game. And I'll selfishly plug Compass, but <laughs> Compass is now incorporating we have um, a, 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 an attorney and title now within Compass. 
So it's going to be more of a one-stop shop where when that buyer comes to you and they say, we want to sign this deal with you, we want to work with you, we, they know that we can provide them title within the company. It's all automated. It's all in front of them. It's all seamless. Communication is the most important thing in that question you just asked me, though. It, it, agents are going to have to be very communicative to their clients. They're going to have to constantly giving them feedback, constantly making sure they're updated, especially buyers. It's something that hasn't been done in the past. So now buyers are going to get treated like sellers used to get, like sellers get treated. Okay. So I'm going to add to that. And sorry, Jamie, just one more question here on this topic. Um, so you've got the agents and you've got the, the brokerage firms. What it sounds like is that the brokerage firms in order to maintain more money in the system are going to add more services to the offering um, that are that are outside of the real estate agent's uh, capability and our capacity. So ultimately, it sounds like the agent, on particularly on the buy side, will potentially make less and the brokerage agency will make more. Depends on the depends on the agent. That is is my easy answer to that. The really good agents, the one who take pride in their work, the one who value all their clients equally, are gonna are gonna continue to do fine, and they're gonna continue to be successful. If what it's significantly gonna change is the amount of agents. You have a lot of people who just got a real estate license to get it because they thought it was a quick, easy check, and are gonna very quickly realize not so much. You, you've got to work for it and you've got to take pride in your job and you've got to take care of people. We're a people business. Taking care of people is number one. Let's pivot for a second here. You know, th there's a bigger issue here, which is I think, look, the, the bottom line on real estate is you want to close the transaction. The whole idea, the whole way the whole industry works is closing a transaction, right? A buyer gets something, a seller gets something, no different than on Wall Street, buying and selling stocks, no different than almost in any sales capacity. The whole, the whole system is usually set up to incentivize the transaction, to make it more, uh, more, uh, advantageous for everybody involved to complete a transaction. And on Wall Street, we, everybody used to be commissioned. And then over time, that shifted to salary bonus. The reason I think that shifted is it gave the management more control over how they how they were paying their employee. You know, if an employee who got really hot or did really well on commission, it didn't matter what the rest of the firm did, that guy got his commission or that woman got their commission. Now, with salary and bonus, if the firm isn't doing as well, they can the management can balance out the pain to everybody kind of thing. So so there's always a push and pull between control over the process versus maximizing the profitability or, or the maximizing the incentive to transact the process. I would say that commission is more of an incentive to a salesman than salary bonus. So uh, I, this seems to be a more, uh, as we look across industries, this might be changing sales in a variety of different industries in different ways as we move away perhaps, again, in another sector now from a guaranteed commission to what have you done for me? What are the services? And I'll pay a fee for it. And the and and I think so. I think there's there, there's a bigger question here about selling in general. Yeah, we know as I mentioned, Jamie, the media industry and advertising industry is changing as we speak, um, and particularly on the buy side. You know, as a representative of a brand uh, purchasing media, you would normally get a commission on that transaction. That commission number has actually decreased over time, and ultimately going to go away and be replaced by fee for service. So, all right, you know, you have five people that 
are going to be working on this business that are project managers or client services people, and you'll pay them a fee for the work that they do as opposed to a commission. And then pulling, uh, you know, the, the, the salaries for these people out of a commission that is ultimately shrinking. But I, to that point, buy side commissions are we're always weird, right? I mean, it, it seems as if someone representing you uh, on a purchase of something and then getting a commission on the price of that purchase. The incentive is all the incentive is to raise the price. Listen, first prize is a new Cadillac. Second prize, a set of steak knives. Third prize, you're fired. <laughs> but yeah, but that, that gets back to my prior point exactly, which is how do we know that the buyer is being fairly represented when it's an advantage to both, it's an advantage to both buyer and seller's brokers to have the highest price possible. But that's really only an advantage to one side of the equation. That's and so right. this, and, and I think that's what it's, I, I, so I guess there's a bit of fairness in there too, is, is kind of creeping into this whole thing too. I don't know. You just said fairness and that, and that to me is the key word in all of that, right? So everything you said is, is completely accurate. It's ethics. So I, my business, and I, I'm a, I think I'm more qualified to talk about this because my business is sphere based. It is my sphere. I'm not out, I'm not out calling people. I don't know. This is but clients, family, friends, referring their family, their friends to me. And if I operate in the way you're saying, that stops. Simple as that. If buyers think I'm out there from the commission not to get them the best deal, then that's going to cost me business. I have always operated in a way, and it's funny that I'll say this now, and I don't think I've ever said it out loud. I have never in my almost 15-year career looked at a commission on an MLS sheet for a buyer. Have never looked to see what it is before I've showed it. Because if I start doing that, then I'm not servicing them the way I'm promising to do that. And so for me personally, I'm not scared of that because I know of the way I treat my clients in my sphere and that's how I work. It's going to make some unethical agents very nervous, though. There, there's no question about that. Which, 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 George, you know, that's why you're a stand-up guy. We love having you on the show. You know, uh I remember back, uh, it was like two years ago when you came on the show and started talking with us about the industry. Uh, the world was a lot different then, right? I mean, we've got, we've come along, we've come a long way since COVID. I think we've seen dynamics on the buy side and sell side during COVID like we've never seen before. And I think there was no rule book for how things played out. Based on, obviously, we've been talking a lot about the NAR ruling, but jumping ahead a little bit, what have you seen across the industry at large that has been ch that has changed fundamentally since the first time that we got a chance to talk to each other during COVID to now? And where do you think that's gone? Uh, I think the biggest change is something that was still prevalent then is inventory. I think nationally we're just at low inventory, and, and I think that 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 that's affecting the real estate market. It, it's making it very competitive for buyers all around the country, and it, it's. Sellers are are having to be more realistic. We're we we are in a in a little bit of a different market now. I think you still have a lingering effect of that market where sellers are they got the bubbles in their eyes and and they're ooh we can get numbers like that again. Let's try for that. But it's kind of settled back down to a reality. And and I think the biggest change is that whole COVID rush market has significantly increased price points throughout the country in neighborhoods that were not even close to these numbers. Um, I can give you local data 
here in Miami, in a, in a neighborhood like Miami Shores, you could have got a three-two family home on a twelve thousand square foot lot with with a pool in the seven hundred thousands. Now you're not even sniffing that unless it's one, two, and up. And at one, two, and one, three, it's probably needing some substantial work. You're probably closer to one, four, one, five for a finished product. And those prices are holding. It's now it's now the new normal, right? So. And at the time, George, when you came on, at that time, things were so frantic as people were kind of trying to kind of get away from the Northeast and the Northwest and come down to, to, the, to the, sunny, uh, the sunny intoxication of Miami where you could actually go walk around outside when everybody was cooped up. Um, but I remember you were saying that it were, they were all cash transactions. You were saying that people were looking at 40-year-old homes made out of wood and they weren't even going through inspections um it was just frantic you'd go to an uh, to a showing on a saturday and 45 people would show up gossiping about the other people how horrible they are in the schools it was just a, a mess has that calmed down at least yes but it's still there so i mean i i have a listing at coral cables that that, that we have up as a land listing and we have five offers within the first four days um pe people are still very competitive down here it's still a lot of cash buyers especially with the interest rates ticking up as far as they did uh, finance deals slowed down. And we started to see a lot of cash buyers again, the 45 people on a Saturday talking smack about the school, not so much anymore, but it, it's still a lot of people coming to South Florida. I think the reason for it has shifted. It's become more of a tax benefit. Uh, tax friendly States are starting to see a big influx of people still. Well, you, you know, the funny thing is, is back then during COVID, uh, people wanted to sell because they wanted to move, they wanted to relocate, they wanted to change life. And it was a big life-changing, you know, environment, if you will, for a lot of people. Um, interest rates were down, all that was, was good. Now interest rates are back up. In New York, for example, people don't want to sell. Uh, because they're like, well, where am I going to go? I'm going to I'm going to sell here, and then I'm going to go somewhere else and pay a higher interest rate, etc. So why 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 put myself through that? So are you are you seeing the fact that just people are holding on to their stuff longer? I mean, you mentioned inventory, but is is that a part of the equation in Southern Florida, particularly? Absolutely, and that that's one of the biggest parts. Is our inventory is still low because of that? Uh, I, I joke with people that in those COVID buyers they got under three five. I mean, there were there were buyers who were purchasing with two percent, two point six, two point seven percent interest rates. They have no reason to sell those properties. They're sitting on free money. At, at any point, they'd rather just rent it than sell it. So that that's what's keeping inventory down. And then the flip side to what you said, which is also very true, prices have risen to a point now where if you do sell and you do have a quality inventory and you sell it high, where are you going to go? Right. There, there's not there's not a lot to land well as we wrap up here george this has been so interesting i just wanted to hit on one other point um alex and i in a lot of shows over the last couple of years we've talked a lot about the migration um from the cities back towards the suburbs and the growth in the suburbs uh, fueled by COVID and and like you say quality of life and a lot of other issues 
Um, one of our theses was, and I think you echoed this when you were on, uh, was that this drive to single family homes, this drive to the suburb would not only reinvigorate the suburbs, but the small businesses in those suburbs. And we'd start to see small business growth, commercial real estate growth in the suburbs, which had, had, had slowed as the micro, as the cities kind of became all encompassing and all servicing. Do you, did, did, has that played out? Are you seeing that on the ground? Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we are seeing a lot of businesses opening up in the suburb areas. So you have suburbs like Coconut Grove and Miami Shores that are thriving. Some of the best restaurants, some of the best places to, to hang out and go are in those neighborhoods. Um, little mom and pop shops they are doing very well as long as the quality is really strong. So, yeah. And because now you have an influx of cash in those neighborhoods. So your, your retail, your consumer is there. You just have to give them the product they're going to buy. We're now seeing big chains pop up in neighborhoods. I mean, Pura Vida and Carrot Express just opened up <laughs> competing stores across right. the street from right. each other in downtown. The, the 30, we don't, I don't know if neighborhoods need another $30 bagel joint. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, 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 so I, I have to quickly ask you this because I, I am on the fence um, with that point of view because I feel like uh, a lot of the small businesses are also driven by um, businesses like office space and, you know, the lunch, the great lunch spots that you get, uh, like the Pura Vitas, being around office buildings was kind of the, the way to keep their business going, you know, on a, on a weekly basis as opposed to the, the Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon dog walk and get a, you know, get a $30 bagel. So I, are we... Are we seeing a fragmentation of that? What's the dynamic now? What are we? Well, we're at? still we're still seeing remote work. It, it's still predominant. A lot of people still work from home. So the suburb little spots are packed. You could go to Pura Vida right now, and it's probably standing room only. <laughs> like it's just, and, and you have you have the suburban moms and dads who who are kind of house parent, and they're just taking care of the kids. They're there all day, and it, they're doing really well. And I mean, th- no joke, they are across the street from each other. It's not being facetious. It, it seems counterproductive, but it's working for both of them. Well, listen, George, uh, we want to thank you so much for coming back on. It's always a pleasure to get your insights, especially now with such change that's going on in terms of the whole commission structure in your industry. Plus, it was great to get a nice look back and at some of the things we discussed way back when in 2020. Uh, please don't be a stranger. We'll look forward to having you back again in the future to get your, 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 your always insightful thoughts on the industry. Yeah, love the conversation, George. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Love being on. Love the show. Happy to be on whenever you need me. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week.